Turn with me then in your Bibles to Luke chapter 5. We're just going to read again verses 17 to 26, that very strange day that we spoke to the children about. Now, if any children are still in here and decide to stay rather than go to Sunday school, welcome again. And uh, if you want, you can draw this scene. Well, you don't have to be a child, do you? If you've got a pen and some paper, you can draw this scene. It's a very drawable scene, this one. So Luke 5, verses 17 to 26. Now it happened on a certain day, as Jesus was teaching, that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Then behold, men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before Jesus. And when they could not find how they might bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the housetop and let him down with his bed through the tiling into the midst before Jesus. When he saw their faith, he said to him, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise up and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, Arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Immediately, he rose up before them, took up what he had been lying on, and departed to his own house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed, and they glorified God and were filled with fear, saying, We have seen strange things today. Now, I dare say you'll agree with me when I say that Jesus divides opinion. Would you agree with that? Some people hear his words, see his deeds, and they believe in him. Others, though, they hear the same words, they see him do the same things, but will not believe. What's your opinion of what Jesus says and does in the world today? In Luke chapter 5, we have one story of two conclusions from two characters. Let's look at those characters. The first character appears in verse 17, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. So who are these? Do you know? They're very important religious people. Part of their job was to tell the people what to think about all things religious. So what are they doing here in Luke 5? Jesus is teaching at the moment in a place called Capernaum. We get that from Mark chapter 2. He's teaching in Capernaum. And these Pharisees and teachers of the law have been drawn by reports of miracles, by reports of amazing teaching, and huge public interest 
in what Jesus is saying and doing. So some of them have come from very far away. Some of them have come more than 100 miles to hear him and to see him. Now, don't get me wrong. They do not believe in Jesus. But they do have to decide what they think about him. They have to decide. They're curious. What's the big deal all about? I think that represents a lot of people in the world. It might even represent you this morning. I don't believe in Jesus, but I'm quite interested to know what all the hype is about. What does he have to say and what does he do that makes him so interesting? And so these Pharisees and these teachers, they followed Jesus for a while, listening, watching, stroking their beards, furrowing their brows. And on this occasion, they joined a crowd which crammed into a house to hear Jesus teach. There the Pharisees squeezed in with everyone else so they could see what all the fuss is about, trying to concentrate through the heat and the hubbub at what Jesus is saying. So that's your first character, these Pharisees. The second character is actually five men. They appear in verse 18. Do you see them there? You've got one paralyzed man. He can't walk, can't use his limbs. And he's lying on a makeshift bed or pallet or something like that. And he's being carried by four other men. Now, these men are also looking for Jesus, just like the Pharisees. But are they trying to decide what to think about him? Unlike the Pharisees, their mind is already well and truly made up, isn't it? They believe in Jesus as the only hope to make them whole again. They had faith in him. And so they carried this poor man in all of his need to bring him to Jesus. Now, when they found that the house was totally rammed, they would not be deterred. They were completely determined to reach Jesus. I must have Jesus Climbing the stairs on the outside of the house, they access the flat roof, like that's how they build them out there, isn't it? They dismantle the tiling that was on the top, and they lower their friend through this hole, right into the presence of the Lord Jesus. Now, why did they act so boldly? They could have just waited outside. Why did they act so boldly? It's because they had faith in Jesus as the only hope for them. I dare say it wasn't too long before that they will have heard read in one of the synagogues by one of their rabbis, Isaiah 53, which says about Jesus, he himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. Their watchword was, I must have Jesus. So that's how Luke sets up the introduction to this little story of two characters. The Pharisees, who do not believe but are listening to Jesus, and the five desperate men, who 
who have faith in Jesus and are therefore determined to get to him. But this is where it now gets interesting. You see, the question is not, what will these characters make of Jesus? What will the Pharisees think about him? What will the five men find in him? That's not the question. The question is actually, what will Jesus make of them? What will he make of the curious Pharisees? While they're thinking about him, what does he think about them? How will he respond to these five men who interrupted his sermon? What does he think of you? That's the question that we're being set up for. As you stand in that room, like this one, listening to the words of Christ, watching the faithful hang on every one of his words, while you are there seeing what Jesus does with people who clamber and cling to him in faith, the question is, what will Jesus make of you? Shall we find out? First up is the five lads who have come through the hole in the ceiling. Now, before we look at what uh, Jesus says about this, let me ask you what a giraffe looks like or what a sunflower looks like or a football. You can draw those things, can't you? You can see them in your mind. They're quite vivid. What does faith look like? Can you see it? If you tried to draw faith, what would you draw? Look here at verse 20. It says, When Jesus saw their faith, he sees it. Faith is something visible, at least to Jesus. In their life, in their choices, in their actions, Jesus could see faith. So what does faith look like? Faith looks like the resolute determination to let absolutely nothing get between them and Jesus. Because only he can meet their need. Faith looks like dragging a lame man up some steps so you can throw him through a ceiling so that he can get to Jesus. Faith looks like doing anything and everything it takes to collapse in a useless heap at the feet of Jesus for him to save you. That's faith. To say in your heart of hearts, I must have Jesus, because only he can save. Now, this is a tangent that we won't go down, so you can think about it as you're having your food later on today, whether or not this sheds any light on Matthew 11, verse 12. You can have a little think about that. That's an interesting one. But for now, let me ask the Christians here, is your faith visible? Can people see it? These five men, by their actions, Jesus could see their faith. Faith, without works, James says, is dead. So what about you? 
Do people see your faith by how you live out that motto, I must have Jesus? Do they see it? Do your children see it in how you pray? Do you pray, I must have the Lord Jesus? Do your neighbours or people who come with you to church, do they see your faith when you take the Holy Communion, saying, I must have Christ? Do people see your faith as you talk about the Saviour, saying, I must have him? Do other people in your family or your friends see your faith as you endure trials with Jesus Christ, praising him, thanking him in everything? You see, Christians, that we trust the Lord Jesus to heal our broken bodies and forgive our damnable sins should not be taken for granted. It should be visible. But what really matters is what Jesus makes of this faith, isn't it? So let's have a look. Look there at verse 20 again. What does Jesus do or say in response to faith that he can see in someone's life? It says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to him, Man, your sins are forgiven you. You see, faith and forgiveness go together. Did you know that? Where there is faith in Jesus, there is the forgiveness of all of our sin. Listen to these words from the Apostle Paul. He is giving an account of himself here and he says that the Lord Jesus spoke to him and says, you will go and preach the gospel to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive the forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. You are to preach the gospel that they may, might receive the forgiveness of sins by faith in me. We've got this very curious verse at the back end of James's epistle. He says this, this applies so well, doesn't it, to Luke 5. The prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven. The prayer of faith and the forgiveness of sins. And I think you'll allow me one more. This one comes from Romans 4. He's talking about Abraham, our father in the faith. It says, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. He, and he was fully convinced that what God had promised he would give, and therefore it was counted to him as righteousness. He was forgiven because of his faith. So we learn from all of Scripture and Luke 5 that faith says, only Christ can meet my needs. I must have him. And when the Lord Jesus sees that in you, it absolutely thrills his soul. And the first thing he does is he meets your greatest need, the forgiveness of your sins. All of it. Everyone. Every single sin. From the first to the last the past sins, the present sins, the future sins, he will forgive them all. The sins you've forgotten, the sins you're committing at the very moment of time right now, the sins that you've forgotten about, the sins that you don't even realise are there, the sins that are so natural we don't even realise that they're sin, the sins that we're unaware of because of how sinful we are. When we have faith in Jesus Christ, he says, your sins are forgiven you. And this is why he so often said, didn't he, to those who came his way, things like, your faith has made you well. 
or as we'll see this evening, your faith has saved you. Now, the Pharisees are still watching. They're still listening. They're still working it all out. And I think you'll agree with me when I suggest they've not seen anything quite like this before. Have you ever been to a church service where someone pushed a hole in the roof? What do you think they thought of all that? What they just witnessed, saw, and heard? What do you think they thought? They probably appreciated the draft from the new Velux window that was just popped into the ceiling, but they didn't like what Jesus had to say at all, did they? They did not like what he said one bit. They doubt, they disbelieve, they will not believe. Look there at verse 21. The scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, who is this? Who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Why do they think that? They said only God can forgive sins. Are they right? Are they right? Come on. Are they right? Of course they are. They're right. Only God can forgive sins. So where are they wrong? They're right to say that only God can forgive sins, but they are wrong to conclude that Jesus is not God with authority to forgive sins. Now, I'm going to take your mind to Italy, to Milan. I think that's in Italy, isn't it? Milan, in the 300s. We're going to go to church. We're going to hear a man called Ambrose preach a sermon on Luke 5. St. Ambrose, the Bishop of Milan, says this about Luke 5, about these Pharisees. He says, what madness? How great is the madness of these people who, confessing that God alone can forgive sins, will not believe God when he does it. Is that you? Only God can forgive sins, but I won't believe it when he does it. Now, Jesus doesn't see their faith, does he? Instead, verse 22, have a look there. He doesn't see their faith, but when Jesus perceived their thoughts. The word here for perceived in the original, it means to know through and through, to understand completely, to be able to walk around the edges of something and view all of its edges, to know it completely, understand it through and through. He knows their thoughts. You see, this again, this is not about what we think of Jesus. It's about what Jesus thinks of us. Where there is faith, he sees it, it thrills his soul, and he forgives our sins. But where there is doubt and unbelief, he knows it. Hebrews 4.13 says, There is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. So what are your thoughts about Jesus? What are you thinking about him, what he says, what he does? Are you still working him out? Trying to see what all the fuss is about? 
Do you hear in this room the words of Jesus? Do you see, like these Pharisees, the obvious faith that others have in him? They cannot, they will not do without him. Do you see his authority to heal them and to forgive all of their sins? And all you have is, I'll think about it. I doubt it. That's all you have. I will not believe. St. Ambrose, the Bishop of Milan, says, you must be mad. How great is your madness. Now, we've seen Jesus' response to the faithful. So what's his response going to be to these Pharisees? Having seen faith, he forgives sin. But perceiving thoughts like these, what do you think he makes of them? When Matthew wrote his account of the same event, he records Jesus' words slightly differently. He says that Jesus calls them evil thoughts. Evil thoughts. To see and to know and have all of this evidence in front of them, to see all they have to have, all they need to put their faith in Christ and be forgiven of all of their sin and say, I will not believe it, is evil. And so Jesus could write them off, couldn't he? He he has the ability, the, the right to do that. He could hand them over to their disbelief. They've chosen it, they can have it. He can consign them now forever to only ever wonder, doubt, disbelieve and never trust him, to never know him, to never be saved, to never have their sins forgiven, always darkness, never light. He could write them off. But if you know anything about the Lord Jesus, you need to know this, that he is gracious, he is kind, he is patient with us as we think and ponder and wonder and are so slow to put our faith in him. He is patient. All they needed to believe in him, he'd already given them, but he graciously adds this in verses 24 and 25. He gives them this miracle. He cures this man's paralysis. He raises him up. Why? Why does he do that? Do you hear it in Jesus' words himself? Look there in verse 24. Why does Jesus do this miracle? Is it for the paralyzed man? Yes. But this is, it's also for this. That you may know that the Son of Man, that is Jesus, has power on earth to forgive sins. I say to you, this paralyzed man, arise, take up your bed and go home. Why does he do it? He does it that they may know that he can, that he has authority, that he will forgive sins. What's really interesting is that the word for know in the original can be translated see. Jesus sees the faith of this man and his friends and he forgives his sins. He sees the thoughts that are in the Pharisees' minds. And then he says to the Pharisees, so that you may see that I can forgive sins, that I have power to do so. He heals this man. You see, what he's doing is proving. He's convincing. He is pleading with them. He's pleading with them to believe in him. 
to believe that he does have authority to forgive sins and heal the body. He speaks like this elsewhere in John 11, just before he raises Lazarus from the dead. He says, that you may believe. He does this miracle. Now, are you still wondering? Are you still listening to Jesus? Still working him out? Still trying to see what all the hype is about? Jesus will yet add more proof for you to plead with you for your faith. He's pleading that you may see who he is and see that he has authority to forgive your sins, to make you whole. He's pleading with you that you might put your faith in him so that he may grant you eternal life. He gives you his word that you may read for free and study and think about and wonder and learn. He gives you his word that you may see who he is and what he can do for you. He gives you miracles in these pages to prove to you that he has these powers to do so. He gives you the testimony of other Christians like me and other Christians that you know in your life speaking to you, telling you about the Lord Jesus. Come and see this man who forgives sinners. He gives you his Holy Spirit, doesn't he? Doesn't he? You feel him tugging on the inside sometimes. Believe in me. He gives you preaching like this. To convince you, to tell you that Jesus Christ is Lord, the Savior of sinners. He gives you the sacraments of baptism and Holy Communion where you can see with your own eyes that Jesus washes sins, raises people to life, that he gives his own body and blood to save sinners. He gives you prayer so that as you speak to him yourself, he speaks to you. And he says that you may know that I have the authority to forgive your sins. And you know, supremely, you'll know this, you'll know this, to win your faith that you may see who he is and what he will do for you, he goes to the cross of Calvary. That centerpiece of the Christian faith where all the sinners in the whole world could come in faith and collapse and slump empty and sinful and broken and paralyzed and receive from him the forgiveness of all of our sins and the healing of our bodies. It is on that cross that Jesus Christ, as we told the children earlier, dies under the punishment of God on sin to pay the price for all the sins that he will forgive. Is this not enough? Look at all the things he will give to plead with you for your faith, to believe in him. What more could he do? He sees your unbelief. He pleads with you for your faith. He is dying to forgive you. Won't you stop doubting? Won't you believe that he will do it for you? If only God showed himself to me, then I would believe. Have you heard that? Have you said it? 
Besides the fact that God already certainly does show himself to you, you know, he will come again one day in Jesus Christ, in the flesh, visibly, obviously, powerfully. And then you will see and hear and know all you wished and desired below. You'll see him. You'll see it. You'll know that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus does forgive sins, that Jesus is the king of the universe. You'll see it and you'll finally be convinced. We're talking about that day where we read in Romans, the day when God will judge the secrets of men, our thoughts about Jesus. He'll judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to the gospel. But you see, when that comes, time will be up. Enough wondering, enough watching, enough listening. And on that day, what will Jesus make of you? When he looks at you, will he see faith and a heart forgiven of all of its sin? Or will he perceive unbelief and awful regret? So what we all must do then here this morning, myself and you, is that we must make like these five Christians that we read of in Luke's Gospel. We must stop at nothing to rush to Jesus, abandon ourselves to him, to run through walls if necessary, to fall down in front of him, a desperate and a broken mass, and ask, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, he'll forgive you of all of your sins. He'll wash you completely clean, and you'll know him, you'll see him, and you'll know him no longer as a fancy or a topic or as a, something to study. You'll see him as a savior. You'll see him as your friend. Allow me to read just a verse from the Psalms, and then we will pray and sing to close. This comes from Psalm 19, where the psalmist says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Amen. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we bless and ever thank you for the power and authority that you have given to your Son to forgive the sin of sinners. We thank you, Lord, that we are not hopeless cases but that in Jesus Christ we have a lively and a vibrant hope. We ask you, Father, for the gift of faith that we may be given the Holy Spirit so that our eyes may be opened, that we may see Jesus Christ as the Saviour of sinners. Give us an understanding, we pray, of his cross where he will take all of our sins away. Oh, Father, we plead, be merciful to us sinners. We confess before you all of our sins and ask you to wash us and cleanse us thoroughly, to make us new in Jesus Christ. Forgive us for so long thinking about him, wondering about him, learning about him, but never seeing and knowing him. Teach us what it is, Lord, to stop at nothing, to collapse in front of him, and to receive the forgiveness of our sins. In his name we pray. Amen. Sing to close now, number 474. Come ye sinners, poor and wretched.
Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God our Saviour, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.